Now, this first illustration I'm just going to tell you right now will probably sound like I'm making it up. So, but I did check my facts. I called somebody. I'm like, is this really true? Well, did that really happen or did I just dream that? They're like, yep, nope, that's totally right. Um, I knew a lady who uh, was taking a very, very expensive medication, like super, super expensive. And uh, the insurance company, the, the, prescrip- you know, the prescription plan, they balked at paying for this prescription because the, the price of it here in the States was so astronomical. But here's the funny little thing. They would pay her, buy, she would, they would buy a, a plane ticket, and also whoever accompanied her, and she could choose whoever she wanted to have go with her, and she could fly to the Cayman Islands, all expense paid, you know, hotels taken care of, all that little, little walking money for two days, so that she would go there, like I think three or four times a year, to buy this ultra-expensive medication. It was, that was the only way she could have her medication. The only way. How many would like to have a medication that they could only get that way? I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying that she enjoyed that. I mean, I, it, travel and, you know, it, it messes with your schedule. But it's better than a stick in the eye is what I'm kind of getting at. Uh, if, it's, if you have to go, this is a pretty, pretty decent way. Um, there's another obligation that, that, that Christians have, which I think is better than a stick in the eye. And that's thanking God. That's my big idea today. You may have noticed it in the bulletin there. As, uh, as inconvenient as it may be, as much of an obligation, giving thanks to God our Father should be pretty painless for anyone who is in Christ. What am I doing there? Well, that's a little bit of a, that what they call, you know what it's called, understatement. I was understating that just a little bit. Because sometimes when we hear like, you should really, really thank God, sometimes you go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, prove it to me. So, yeah, Uh, let me catch you up just real quickly here in the book of Colossians. Last week we saw uh, that um, we should be filled with a knowledge of, a spiritual knowledge, such that we are able to walk worthy and pleasing of the Lord. And then, do you remember we looked at those four participles? You say, well, you only gave three. Right, because there was a fourth one that was coming. You remember the three that we looked at last time? Of course you do, of course you do. So it was bearing fruit, it was increasing in the knowledge or by the knowledge of God, and it was being strengthened by God's mighty power so that we will endure with joy and patience. Remember that? Those, those were describing what manner uh, it looks like when you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I said there's one more, which is also kind of a transition, so we held off for this week, and it was simply this, that we were to thank God. God, it says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So let's, let's break this down and look at it. First of all, he has qualified you. He has qualified you. That's an interesting word, isn't it? You're saying, tell me, Jay, what does that mean in the underlying Greek? Well, the, the lexical meaning is qualified. Um, and it's also uh, fitting or also, believe it or not, worthy. Worthy. Are you catching on to something there? Did something pop at you when I said worthy? Yeah, how many of you are f- familiar with the uh, Fibonacci sequence? Anyone? Fibonacci sequence? Did you have that in college? Uh, yeah, I, I was searching. I had this idea. I had this concept that was floating around in my brain, and I'm like, what is that? I, and I went down and I said, Scott, tell me, here's what I'm thinking. He goes, oh, maybe you're thinking about the Fibonacci sequence. And I'm like, 
yes, what is that? And uh, so, so it, the Fibonacci sequence is kind of like almost as much art as it is math. It, it's this weird thing. You talk about the golden angle or the golden ratio. Think of, in nature, you know, in, in, in plants and out in outer space, in galaxies and so forth, there's this weird recurring kind of spiral-like, because sometimes it's called the Fibonacci spiral, where things come around, but they don't come around in a perfect circle where they hit the exact same point, but they're going outward and upward as that repeats, yeah? You're like, what on earth does that have to do with anything? Well, it's almost like Paul is doing that in the book of Colossians. You keep seeing these ideas, and they pop, and then eventually they come right around. So he's talking about being worthy. How do you walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? Well, you've got to bear fruit in these other things, and you've got to thank him. But what am I thanking for? And you're com- you see that you're coming around the circle. What, well, what am I thankful for? Thankful that he has made you worthy. Like, wait, wait, to walk worthy, I have to thank him that he has qualified me, that he has made me worthy. Trying to walk worthy of the Lord sounds impossible when you get right down to it. As sinful creatures, we, the, the idea of walking worthy of the Lord, so, it seems so beyond us. And Paul's like, here's, how, here's what it looks like. And then we hear it. And then all at once, as we get to the fourth one, it comes right back around because he has qualified you. He had to do the work. Now, to what did he qualify us? He qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament background there, a lot of words which, which pop up uh, in the uh, Old Testament. Remember last time we were looking at spiritual wisdom and understanding, and we looked at the Old Testament context there, that the craftsmen that built the temple, and then later, well, um, tabernacle, then later the temple, you had those three guys, and it talked about how God had filled them with a spirit of wisdom and knowledge so that they were able to do these very things. Um, What Old Testament background do you see here in our text? You probably would see several things. Let's look again. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When you think of an Old Testament connection with the word saints, do you know of any? I'll make it easier. The word saints is is another way of saying holy ones. Hmm? Does that sound familiar? As you think back to the Old Testament... Who were the holy ones in the Old Testament? This is a trick question. Because you might think, what could be the angels, couldn't it? You'd be right. Could also be God's Old Testament people. Something really cool happened when I started chasing this down. I started looking at passages where that word occurred. And it turns out the very first time that it mentions holy ones is in the book of Deuteronomy. And both groups are designated as holy ones. I want you to see this really quickly. It's going to come up on the uh, screen there. Deuteronomy 33, 2 through 3. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the, from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hands, so they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. So who are the holy ones? Well, in verse 2, it's, it's the angels. In verse 3, it's God's people. Right? 
Mind, mind blown. My mind was blown. Maybe it's not for you. I'm easily, you know, I'm easily impressed with it. But, but how wild is that? Now hop back into Colossians 1. What did God make you worthy of? He made you qualified for in, an inheritance with the holy ones. You say with saints, right? Yeah, the Old Testament saints. Well, that would be the most logical connection. But are the, the angels excluded? I don't think entirely. I think both, are, are, both are, are kind of in there. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Tell me if you don't see a connection here. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? You, boys and girls, brothers and sisters who are in Christ, you can say that you have a share of an inheritance in light that, that connects the holy angels and the presence of God and, and, and all of the rest. I think the reason he tacks on in light there is because he's kind of not thinking about the original context of, of the people of God in in this, in. Uh, Israel, but he's thinking about the fact that unlike them, they had that share in the land among the tribes. We have a share in light. We have a share in heaven. We have a sh- share in all of that by virtue of being in Christ. Are you excited about that at all? Okay, good. Because uh, you know, I don't know about you, I'm not qualified to be there in myself. I am not qualified to be there. This is very reminiscent of the transfiguration. How many really belonged at the transfiguration? Like, you should have been right there. Up on the mountain, Christ appears in light. He's transfigured. The light is so bright they can't look on it. And who who is there with him? Some of the holy ones, some of the saints of God for the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And and the apostles are like, we shouldn't be here. (laughs) I don't belong there. I I am not qualified in, in, in who I am. Look at this text. How how do we walk in a manner pleasing to God? By thanking God. What should I be thankful to God for? That God has qualified me and you for a share with his people, his holy angels in his presence forever. That's pretty awesome. That's better than a stick in the eye. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I mean, I think we could kind of thank God for that, couldn't we? Just maybe. This fits very well, too, with the idea of the false teachers in terms of contrasting it with what the false teachers proclaimed. They were all concerned with visions, we're told, angels. Like, we're just piecing it together, but that they were real caught up in that. Visions, angels, probably entering into the celestial temple by means of what they were talking about. It seems they thought that they could enter the heavenly temple and have visions of angels and all these things if they did a very prescribed list of things. Like, here's your list of do's and don'ts. You gotta, you gotta eat this, you gotta not eat that. You gotta do these things, you gotta keep these days. You gotta, you know, make all, make all this stuff. And if you do all that, then oh, you'll be qualified, you know, to, to see angels and, and, and be in that place of light. Won't that be amazing? Do you see the difference? In the false teacher's view, it's all about what you do. And maybe, maybe not, maybe you'll get to that point where you'd be qualified to that, to that point if you mistreat your body and you, and you keep these rituals. Paul's more like, you know what, guys? Here, you're in Christ. Walk, walk in a manner worthy of him. Here's what your life should look like. 
Oh, and by the way, thank him because he's qualified you. He's made you eligible for, for that. Dear ones, there will be people that come along who will, and this happens all the time, there are always bandwagons moving through the church. There are always cults. There are always false teachings that come along. And essentially what they're trying to do is tell you to have the real experience in Christ, not this pedestrian sort of experience of Christ that the average saved person has, but, you know, to be really enlightened, to be in that place of light in heaven and see visions and how you've got to have these experiences. You've got to do this and thus and, and so forth. Thank God that you are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you have to have visions for that? No, you do not. Guess what? You know what you have to do? You you have to do what Paul already said. You have to endure. Endure to the end. Hold on to your faith. Trust Christ. And then when the day comes, you know, we are in one sense now already seated with Christ in the heavenlies, which Paul will say. So we are experiencing this on one level, but in that day, when we have passed on to, to glory, as we say, we, we, will, we will fully experience that inheritance that has been set back for us, and I think, I don't think it's painful to thank God for that. I think it's actually pretty easy. Well, we're going to move from verse 12 to verse uh, 13, um, and we see that thanksgiving to God is still sort of in the background, but now we see how God got us to that place of being qualified. How could God take sinners? How many were a sinner? How many are still a sinner saved by grace? How does God take sinful people, ordinary, you know, people made of dust, and somehow qualify us to be in that place of light? How did he pull that off to give us that inheritance? Well, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness. It says that literally. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And by this point, you're thinking, we're going to go back to the Old Testament here in some fashion, aren't we? Yep. Yep, we are. Do you see any New Testament, uh, Old Testament kind of words there? I don't think Old Testament-y are, is really a word, but anyway. Um, how about the word delivered? The word delivered is an immensely important word. Where do you put the word delivered is? You think about the Old Testament. Where, where would that pop up? Be God's people coming up out of Egypt. They were delivered from their bondage by a mighty hand. He freed them from the slavery under Pharaoh. I think Paul is working kind of backwards here. So he started with the inheritance. That's the good news, you know, that, that, that we have a, a, a share of the inheritance with the saints in light. And then he kind of comes back to looking at how God got us there. How did God get Israel to Canaan? That was their share of their inheritance, looking forward to what has come. But how did they get there? Well, God had to deliver them. For us to have an inheritance, God had to deliver us. We're talking about the realm and activity of sin and evil. That realm, the domain of darkness that he freed us from, was none other than the realm of Satan. From the fall onward, we were captive to sin. We were corrupted in our nature. We were under the tyranny, the bondage, the enslavement of sin according to the working of the devil. We belong to the devil. You say, You're overstating it. No, I'm not. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, the Bible says. We were without hope and without God in the world. That's pretty desperate, isn't it? 
The chains of our enslavement were sin. Sin, our constant bent to sin, our guilt. Paul describes this well in the book of Romans chapter 6. The whole chapter pretty much goes to this point. Let me give you two verses just to kind of give you that sampling of it. Paul writes there, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin had become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Satan, Satan is the prince of darkness. It says that. He is the ruler over the kingdom of this world. He rules with an iron fist of fear and temptation and sin. And we were bound in guilt, enslaved to continue in sin. We had no hope. We were spiritually just like Israel was in Egypt. We were a lot like Harrison Okina or Okina. You remember Harrison Okina? How many know who I'm talking about? No, why would you? I had to Google it myself. I remember the story, and maybe you'll, you'll remember this as well. Well, Harold Okina was a Nigerian, uh, a cook aboard a tugboat off the western coast of Nigeria. And they were, they were going out, I think, to escort and bring a tanker in, and something happened. I don't know what the cause was, but they sank. They sank in 100 feet of water. They went to the bottom. As I understand the boat capsized, it was, it was so top-down, and uh, everyone died except Harrison. Harrison happened to be in a part of the ship where when he came up, he was inside a room, and there was an air bubble. Yeah. So down there, it was pitch black, not a bit of light. You think, well, Nigeria, it's going to be warm. Not at 100 feet down. It was, it was bitter cold. He was half-submerged in water. He remained there for 60 hours. The carbon dioxide was building up in the room around him. He couldn't see anything. All he could do was pray. Well, it just so happened, obviously people saw the tugboat sink, so they sent divers down as a sort of search and rescue operation. They certainly were more or less going to retrieve bodies. And they retrieved a number of bodies. Everyone else had died. And, uh, and you can actually see this on YouTube if you look it up. They act because there was a, a, a camera on the guy's helmet. And he comes up in there and into that room, and, and he sees a hand. And he reaches out and takes the hand, and the hand grabs him. <laughs> that's, that's why they call it a wetsuit. Um, <laughs> But he comes up, and, and, and there's Harrison. There's Harrison. And in the story I read, it never bothers to mention whether or not he was thankful to the people who rescued him. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say I think he was pretty thankful. I don't think it was hard for him to, to thank him at all. The Bible says that, that hell, the judgment, Jesus says this. He says it's, it's like outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. God didn't deliver us from just 60 days, or 60 hours, I'm sorry, 60 hours of darkness and gloom and despair. He rescued us from eternal darkness. People say hell begins here. It does. People are in hell apart from Christ, and it only gets worse in eternity, and, and Christ delivered us from that domain of darkness. Can anybody here say they're thankful to God for that? Is anybody thankful for that? Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah. That's an amazing, amazing thing. But he didn't leave us just 
out but not in. It says he transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now when I look at this, I, I might have expected it to say from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. That might have been what I would have expected or, uh, or that it might have said from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of the sun. Why, why does it not bring up the light? Well, for one thing, because he's already mentioned the light. Where's our inheritance? What is our share? Our share is an inheritance with the saints in light. Yes, in, in glory, in heaven. So that's already been in there. But the, the, also, how about the fact that Jesus is the light? Of course, it's the kingdom of light. It says, I, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We go from enslavement to the devil to the freedom of the sun. And there is no in-between. We're walking, yes, that's part of the text. We're walking in this world as we await glory. But it's not as though, you know, when God drew you to the, to the sun by faith in the gospel, it wasn't like you were in Alcatraz in the domain of darkness, and then you broke out at night, and you're like running for your life down, and now you have to swim, you know, across the bay to get out of there. It's no, he takes you from one to the other. At that moment at which he brings you into union with Christ through faith in Christ, through faith in the gospel, at that moment, it is immediate. It is from darkness into the kingdom of his son. It's like the people that used to escape from uh, eastern Germany, you know, and they would jump over the Berlin Wall. You can maybe even remember the pictures in Life magazine, the guy jumping over the, you know, and, and it wasn't like it just, there was this long transition. It was one moment here and the next moment to freedom. That's what God has done. He has brought us into the kingdom of his son. Look at what Paul said to Agrippa when he talked about his ministry, what it was he was bringing to the people that he preached to. He said, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those, that sounds a lot like a share, doesn't a share of inheritance, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You, dear one, you belong now to the kingdom of God's dear son. Know this by God's grace through the gospel. It was out of darkness and into his light. It was complete. It was total. That is yours. It is yours if you are in union with Christ. Then in verse 14, we kind of peel the onion one layer back from where we're at to kind of end here, but in Christ, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what it says. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's work back here a little bit. Redemption. Where, where do we think of in the Old Testament? Where does the word redemption come up? Well, we're right back to the Exodus again, aren't we? God had to redeem his people up out of bondage. There had to be a price which was paid. What was the price that they owed God? Maybe don't blurt out the answer because you might say the wrong thing. You're like, a lamb. No, the price was their firstborn. You say, God required them to put their firstborn to death? No, he gave them a substitute. They didn't put their firstborn to death. They put a lamb to death. And then the blood was put around the door so that the destroyer would pass over. And then they ate the body of that lamb in the night. And that was a substitute. We have been redeemed by a substitute. Our lives were forfeit, but he paid the price with his body and his blood. 
Paul doesn't mention the blood here, but he says that this redemption which he brings is the forgiveness of sins in whom, right? In, in the beloved son, in whom. He's, he's connecting it, the idea that our redemption is in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in the son that we have this redemption. I told you that the book of Colossians was going to be tied to that idea a lot, that it'll keep coming up in different ways, different prepositions, but it's it's all, all about that union with him. In Christ, we have been redeemed. All we have is Christ. Our being worthy of an inheritance is because we are in Christ. Our rescue from darkness is because we've been brought into Christ. The Father drug us into that kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. We are now in Christ and all things are ours. The false teachers appealed to something else. They appealed to hard work, keeping rituals, following painful rules. For them to experience the fullness of God was to do all those things. But Paul would say, you have it now. It is yours. Not because you, you're so great, but because you have been brought into Christ. Look at, the, look at these participles again. Look at, look at the past tense of them. You know, he's qualified you. He's delivered you. He's transferred you. All of those are in the past tense, meaning they've already been accomplished because you are now in the Son. Now, Paul isn't saying that we don't grow in our faith. Paul isn't saying that we just stay stuck and that, well, you just pray a prayer of salvation, you're done. No, he tells us to walk to walk and to bear fruit and all of these things and to, and to walk worthy. And right about the time we get worried, oh, I'm not worthy, he says, well, yeah, but, but God has already made you worthy. That's already been done. And so, yes, there's room to grow. There's room, as Paul will tell us, to go deeper, to put our roots down deeper into Christ. There's, there's always room for us to reach a greater conformity in our outward appearance, as it were, with his appearance. But, the, but what had to be done has already been done in Christ. Christian, it's relatively painless. It's relatively painless to thank God the Father for what we have in Christ. If you want to walk in a manner worthy of him, thank him. Because he has made you worthy. To have a share of the inheritance with the saints in light. He's taken you out of the domain of darkness under that, that authority of Satan. He's brought you out of that. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has brought you into the kingdom of his dear son, his beloved son. That ought to be something we can thank God for today. Perhaps I'm talking to someone today who's still in darkness, and if so, I, I pray that the Lord would awaken you, that God would open your eyes, that you might see the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ. The Bible in that same passage says that the devil has blinded people from seeing that, but I pray God will open your eyes and that you will see the redemption price that has been paid by Christ, that you will desire that share in the inheritance of God's people. And that desiring that, you will turn from sin, that you will trust in Christ for what he did on the cross and be saved. You'll be brought into union with him and then you'll have plenty of reasons to thank God. Why not, why not leave here thankful today? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. It, it's so rich, Lord. It, it's like a, a, a six-course meal as we really start to peel back the layers and look at all of what's there just in a few verses, Lord. There's just so much that you, that you put there. And when we look at it, Lord, we start to realize again, once again, just how dear our, our salvation is, that, that there's just elements of deliverance and redemption and forgiveness and, and light and, and inheritance. These things are just so beyond us, and, and we are to walk in a way thankful to you. Lord, there are many things that we're not thankful for, <laughs> and, and forgive us for that. Lord, everything, everything in our lives is, is by your hand, Lord, we trust that in all things you're working for our good. Help us to receive the difficult along with the things that are glorious and, and easy to consume. Help us, Lord, just to, to lay hold of what we have through union with him. And we pray, Lord, that there might even be someone who hears this word today, who knows suddenly of their own darkness and turns to the light. We ask that you would do that for your glory, for your name's sake. Amen.